have to be naturally interested in people if you're going to be a good communicator, right? Whether that's studying it from a research perspective, whether that's actually going out and, and functionally applying communication, you have to have an interest in people. Yep. That's what we're trying to do. I'm trying to be that bridge between people and the people that, you know, in the, in the organization that is working, you know, ostensibly on their, on their behalf if it's being done right. PR. It's not just a catchphrase. It's a passion. And it's a career. But sometimes it can be a headache. So sit back and recover with this PR Hangover, a podcast of Grand Valley State University's chapter of PRSSA. I'm your host, Brady Mills, and this is probably the only hangover you'll ever look forward to. Hello, it's Brady, and I want to welcome you back to PR Hangover. This episode that you're about to listen to is an interview with David Green, and David is the Director of Communications for the City of Grand Rapids. So for the GVSU students listening, we got some hometown pride here. And David gives a great perspective on what it's like to do communications in the public sector. And this isn't this isn't necessarily that political side of things that we think about with lobbying and, and that whole side of communications. This is much more of a local government perspective where where it's a nonpartisan view of how we can best communicate with our community. And that's a big part of what we talk about today is, is making sure that community is at the forefront and how to go about really connecting with those people who, as a government employee, you're responsible for making sure that their voices are heard and, and that the government's voice is heard in their community. So David has some great things to say about this, and we'll just get right into it. All right. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm here today with David Green. David is the Director of Communications for the City of Grand Rapids, and he just came in this year. Um, but basically, and he'll explain more of this, but his role looks like he, he oversees all of the Office of Communications. He provides support and counsel to the City Commission and Executive Office, and then he leads the development and implementation of a strategic communication plan for the city. And like I said, we'll dive into what all that means, but um, David, thanks for coming, and it's great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so David, if you could just start, um, just just to get to know you personally a little bit, like who is David Green? Like if you could just kind of share with the audience, you know. Sure. This is always one of those complicated questions because I'm one of those people. Like if I take a personality test, it's different depending on what I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So who am I today? Uh, today, uh, today I'm uh, I, I'm. I'm a guest on a podcast. I guess would be the first thing. Um, but no, I, I guess if you know, if I was to try and put it in a box, um, I'm someone who has. Uh, I'm in my you know middle-aged uh, white dude who uh, works uh, for city government and has worked for the government for about 26 years now. Um, and uh, and I'm a communicator. I'm uh, I'm I'm a someone who cares about people, uh, which is why I do the kind of work that I do. And we can talk about that later if you want to. Um, I'm kind of a music person. Um, I like really eclectic, you know, lots of different music. Um, I'm a dog person. Uh, I'm a husband. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm trying to. You see, I, I don't. I come from a different generation, so I don't have like my Tinder bio. To just, right, like, right. Rattle you don't off. have your, your yeah. uh, elevator pitch for yeah, yourself. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't have like a little. You know, I don't have like my Tinder bio or whatever. It's you know written down. Like, I'm you know I'm I'm a, a, I'm, I'm fun and thrill seeking and, and well, if you want to take yeah. what we just recorded and I'll transcribe it for you, you can put your Tinder. Perfect. Well, don't tell my wife that. Yeah. That'd be a problem. So uh, that's awesome. No, but thank you. Yeah, I mean, that really helps. I think I think a big part of you know interviews like these is like when you don't get to know the people personally. It doesn't really help. Sure. To, you know, you, you you learn less. So thanks for sharing. Now, do you do you do any music? Like, no. So oddly enough, it was one of those things where I, I love listening to music, um, and it's actually how I got started in communications. Generally, was working at a radio station because mm -hmm. I loved you know I loved I loved um, kind of um, 
listening to music, sharing music, the experience of music, being around other people. Like, it, like music's always better when it's enjoyed in a large group, so I'm glad we're finally getting back to in-person music, like concerts and stuff again. Um, but I never had the discipline or the focus to sit down and learn music, like learn how to play an instrument. Like I look, I've had people try and walk me through like sheet music and like quarter notes and half notes. And play. And I just, I don't get it. It doesn't, certain things just don't make sense to me. And that's one of them. Other things make complete sense to me. And you know, and, and that's, you know, and that's great. But like to me, you know, trying to learn how to do music, I just didn't have that kind of discipline. Right? It just wasn't something that I could do. And, and I envy people that could. I mean, especially the natural people that play like 50. Like, <laughs> right. Like right. Uh, Beck. Beck plays like 8,000 instruments or something. And they're all instruments nobody's ever heard of, which is, which is even crazy. So. Yeah. So, so, I mean, go back to that. So you said you started in radio. Yep. Um, how, how did that play out? How did you get that? Um, so actually, I started off doing speech and debate in high school. Okay. I, in middle school and high school, I did speech and debate. And um, the short version of the story is... A local radio guy was one of the guest judges at a, at a, a tournament that I was doing in central Illinois. And um, one thing led to another. He had me come in and do some voice work, you know, some because uh, they would do voices and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so he'd have me come in and, and help out with some spots and stuff. And then that turned itself into a board op job. You know, and then ba- so basically for about a year, and about two years, my final two years of high school, I worked a, at a radio station, um, you know, literally just kind of playing music, reading the weather, yeah. um, reading the news, and, and, you know, and that was it. So... Um, and I and I had intended to stay doing that. Like my parent, my dad was like, "Okay, well, you're about to graduate, and I've got to move. You know, we've got to move again because my dad was in the military." Mm-hmm. He's like, "We're going to move, um, you know, so you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do." And I'm like, "I'm going to do this." I'm like, "This is awesome. I'm making all this money." And and he sat down, and that's the first time he sat down and showed me a budget. And you realize very quickly, even in the '90s, twenty thousand dollars did not go very far. Right. There's right. a lot of money when my food and my room and board was covered by my parents. Right. It was not a lot of money if I didn't realize stuff myself. <laughs> yeah. You know. So, um, and so he, we talked, and I decided I was going to go into college. You know, I was going to go to college at some point. Um, but I come from a, a middle class family that didn't have necessarily the savings or the or the funds to do that. Um, uh, and so my dad was like, "Well, you know, I, I'm in the army. You can join one of the military services, and they'll help you pay for college." And so I was going to go into the army for three years, get out, and go to school. Um, and I wound up being in the army for 20 years, <laughs> and still went to school. I just went to school in the evenings, weekends, part time yeah, okay. kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. And we'll, we'll get into that. I, yeah. side, sidebar: You did. Um, speech and debate, high school, middle school. Yep. What did what cat I did it too. Um. So like, what what category, or what what did you compete in? Was so, it broadcasting so, then I see. No, no, actually, no. no that's that, that's what's crazy, right? Like, uh, like you would think that um, because I and we'll get to that part too. I got into broadcasting okay. at some point, but during speech and debate, no, I was more the creative guy. I was doing like uh, humorous interpretation, okay, um, original comedy stuff, duet, um, uh, and then I did um, uh, Lincoln Douglas was the style of debate that I was into. Okay. I didn't like policy debate. Um, I, I like, I, I like, without offending people that do policy style debate, right, I don't feel that there's any art to it. Like there's mm-hmm. no, appealing to emotion and trying to win moral arguments is more interesting to me than, everybody can lay well, out sure. facts, right? For sure. Like, you know, but, but being able to come up with the rhetorical flourishes to your arguments was kind of more interesting to me, so. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um. We'll just we'll just go quickly then through through your story. So you started in radio, and you, did did you? How long did you stay in there? Uh, so that was about two years. Two years. Yeah, yeah. it was about two years, and then um, you know the military actually has broadcasters, and so I was okay. going to try and become a broadcaster in the army. Okay. But due to a whole um, a whole series of kind of comedy of errors that wasn't it wasn't available to me. And since I was just going in for school, I went ahead and joined the army to be on tanks. So I was mm-hmm. uh, on on M one A two tanks. So okay. 
Um, so, it's, so that's kind of where, you know, how I got in the Army. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess we can kind of pick up from there. But yeah, radio yeah. for two years, went into the Army, got on this big steel beast that could blow things up from two miles away and, and run over trees and stuff, and did that for a few years. And So you were you were actually in the Army before you did communications for the military? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I joined the Army, okay. did that for a couple of years. And after a couple of years, you know, I was supposed to get out and go to college. I'm like, you know... I'm, I'm not really doing much with myself. I don't know what I want to study. I'm still, I was taking all the basic courses, English, math, you know, all that stuff, like the local mm-hmm. community college, getting that stuff like that way. And I was like, you know, I don't mind the Army. And so I went to him and I said, you know, I'd be willing to stick around if you'd let me go do that thing I wanted to do in the first place. And they said, eh, okay, I mean, I'm making this sound simpler than it was. It's a bureaucracy, so there's lots of paperwork involved and signatures. Lots of people and, to go through. Yeah, right. Um, you know, but they, they were like, okay, yeah, sure. If you'll stick around another couple of years, we'll send you to school, and, and uh, we'll send you to broadcasting school for the military. Um, and that got me on this path that I'm on now. Um, so in the military, um, it, you know, each branch does it slightly differently. I was in the Army. Um, but that kind of, uh, you, you learn how to do like broadcast and video production and stuff like that. Um, you can learn how to be a journalist, write, take photographs. Um, but all of those encompass organizational communication. So when you're doing that stuff, it's all in support of organizational yeah. communications. Um, what we call in the military command information, but really that's just that executive strategic communications kind of work. So as you're doing that, did you, did you ever find like a specific avenue of that or like tactic that you really that like really resonated with you like what part of communications doing doing more of the tactical work right. was their favorite part that stuck out so yeah i mean so and again i always say this like I, radio and tv and stuff will always be like a first love mm-hmm. but as it turned out um not every assignment you get allows you to do that specific work and so i wound up in a series of assignments in what we call public affairs uh in in um in non-federal government it's usually referred to as public information um, but I wound up doing more of that kind of work, and it turned out I had a knack for it. I was actually pretty good just, like, off the top of my, you know. Uh, I mean, obviously I got trained and stuff, but it, it was something that just came very naturally to me to do that kind of work. Um, and so I started to drift towards that and started selecting jobs and assignments that allowed me to do more of that. And the, the video and radio stuff kind of fell to the wayside, right? Because it was, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I got to work at a radio and television station in Naples, Italy for three years. Worst three years of my life, but, you know. <laughs> Um, so so, I still, sounds cool though. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, and I jokingly say worst three years, but I mean, I had a good time. I, I really enjoyed what I was doing. But, um, you know, in terms of like a long range thing, I didn't see myself leaving the military, going into the commercial world, wearing a suit and a tie, sitting behind a teleprompter, you know, playing Anchorman or whatever, right? I was much more interested in the, in the organizational communication stuff. So I started doing more of that. Um, if I had a a true area of expertise in, in that, you know, kind of that skill set though, it's probably working with, with the media, media relations, okay. yeah. working with media, you know, um, and you'll see that, you know, it's, so it's a lot of PR type skills, a lot yeah. of public relations type yeah. skills. Um, and so, and so that, but that can be kind of my area of focus, my area of expertise. It was very lucky to work with, you know, a lot of really great journalists over the years and stuff, uh, national, international, you know, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, all the major, you know, all, all the major outlets and stuff. Um, you know, it, it, but that was all by virtue of one being pretty good at what I was doing. The two, the places I wound up, like Iraq and Afghanistan, I always worked at the headquarter level, so that's where mm-hmm. the big stories get told, right? So, mm-hmm. so did you ever have a, a struggle balancing, um, you know, like when you were really looking at broadcasting, uh, like balancing this seems fun and like I'm passionate about this versus like what's more realistic to, you know, as a career, or, or did that flow naturally as as it ended up being more enjoyable for you to do other things? Yeah, I. 
I, I, I always tell people I'm kind of probably undeservedly lucky in a lot of facets mm -hmm. of my life, and that's one of them. You know, I, got, I, I had an opportunity to go do something I was actually pretty good at and I enjoyed and, and was able to make a career and earn a living at, right? Mm -hmm. Not everybody can get to do that, right? Uh, plus, it's a little weird because PR is one of those things where, like, you can't really do it as a hobby, right? right. Like, like, you know, you, like, you know there, how many people like, are you out there... Like, what are you doing your free time? Like, create... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> like, like, how many people are out there that are doing, like, like, you know, have a YouTube channel or their own podcast or something like that? Yeah. Like, you can do the broadcast <laughs> side of it kind of as a hobby or, yeah. a, a, you know, a labor of love. No one's asking you to write press releases <laughs> or speeches, you know, for fun. Like, right? I'm just like, having a relaxing weekend, sitting down writing some press releases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so, uh, so, so, so in that regard, I got lucky. Um, okay. I will tell you, though, there, there are always, I always think about that, though. There, there is always that consideration. Like, I, I personally, I don't, you know, if you ask me what I, what I would love to do, it'd be a talk show host, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'd just go into a radio and I'd have a, oh, and, I, and, yeah, and, and, and I would have a staff. That's awesome, yeah. I'd have a staff that could do all the research yeah. for me and all that stuff and, you know, and, and kind of help me book you know, uh, book guests and all that stuff and I could just host a show. That would be my dream job, yeah. my dream thing to do, right? Um, and yet, that's not what I wound up doing for work. So what I do for work, I enjoy the work I do, but is it like my passion? No, but that's okay because I think we get too tied up sometimes in society where we're so fixated on passion. You know, it's like, great. I know people that are passionate about stuff that, will ne that they'll, they're going to starve, right? Like you joke mm -hmm. about the starving artist kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, um, um, so like you have to be able to go do some work or find a job you want to do that is in some way going to help you make a living. Right, there's a way to feed your soul and... Your income, and right. you don't have to do this yeah. together all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, well, like for instance, you know, I, I mean, I, I know people. Um, uh, I, I know a, a, a friend of mine has, uh, you know, he, he's got a um, a doctorate in philosophy, but he didn't go into academia, right? And he's like, do the doctorate in philosophy? Well, he figured out that in a lot of cases, big major organizations, especially over the past twenty years, have created ethics divisions, right? And that's what philosophy. That's one big branch of philosophy yeah. is ethics, right? And so he was able to go find a job. Now he works for a company. Um, and I'm not going to tell you, we're not going to talk too much about the, the company and stuff, but he works for a company that does need that every once in mm -hmm. a while. They do a lot of stuff in the tech space. And so they, they, he helps them think through, you know, we're going to make this tweak to this product or we're going to launch this thing. And what are the, what are the ethical implications of us doing X, Y, or Z behavior with our company, right? Um, and so he's found a way to do a living. If you ask him, though, if that's his passion, he's like, no, that's not my passion. My passion was more about meaning of life stuff. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, right. I, was, he's like I, I was an existentialist kind of guy. That's <laughs> yeah. what I was getting into. I really care about ethics. So he uses the ethic, you know, but, so he's gotten an opportunity to use what he enjoys for work. And that's probably more realistic if I, you know, if, I, if, you're, if everybody's just being honest, that's more realistic than like, oh, no, I'm super passionate about this thing and I'm only going to do that. And I'll tell you what, it's inspiring because you hear famous people do that all the time. You hear guys like Kanye talk about that, about he wasn't going to be denied, nobody's going to stop yeah. him, you know, all that stuff. And that's great. But the thing is, is for every one of him, you don't hear about the 50 million people that are now, you know. <laughs> Who tried and like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, they're working a fast food window in their <laughs> right. 40s because right. that's, because they, they just refuse to give, quote unquote, give up the dream. Right. It, it's yeah. okay. It's like you can do both. Like, you know, if, if people were given better advice, they would go get that practical skill and like learn to be a mechanic or something. And then they would play gigs on the weekend, right? Yeah. <laughs> like instead of trying to be Kanye, like, yeah. you know, so, yeah. so yeah. So in my, in, in that regard, I got lucky um, mm -hmm. in the sense that I found something that I can make a living at and, and that I enjoy doing, but is it my, my fundamental, absolute passion dream job? No, that, that's something kind of adjacent to that related to it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and I want to I want to finish your career journey too, but sure. um, as 
So I, I found an article written by the Business Journal on you, and it was saying, I think it quoted you saying, you're, you're passionate about communications. I mean, you just shared that you're passionate about people too. So yeah. is government communications, and like, how does, how does that fill those, how does that fill the passion? Well, so one, I, I, always, I always tell people, you know, communications, if you study it at all, you learn the model, right? That's like mm-hmm. communications 101. Yeah. You learn the sender, receiver, blah, blah, blah. So everybody's always like, you know, when you're, if you say, oh, I'm passionate about communications, which really means you're passionate about people because you've got to have mm-hmm. something to communicate to. There's no, point, there's no point in me putting my thoughts out, but sitting in a room just talking randomly, well, they lock people like that up if you do it too much, <laughs> right? Like, right? So, so you know, you, you have to have, so you have to be naturally interested in people if you're going to be a good communicator. Right, whether that's studying it from a research perspective, whether that's actually going out and, and functionally applying communication, you have to have an interest in people. Um, me personally, yeah, I, I care about people because that's really the only thing in the world, really, for me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can have all the big ideas, you can have a, a you know a million dollar company. Famous, you know, J- Steve Jobs is famous. He only had like three people in his life, and I just kind of like, oh, that's all right. But he was looking to fundamentally change the lives of people. Mm-hmm. And so he still cared about people, even if he wasn't a people person, right? So the way I look at it is communications, yes, I'm passionate about the, about the idea of communication. I'm passionate about people. Um, and the way those two things marry up when it comes to government is that at the end of the day, governments, at least in our you know, representative democratic, you know, Western philo- you know, democratic philosophy, Western liberal th- uh, philosophy, um, you know, governments are constituted of and by people for the betterment of the collective, right? Um, and so, as a government communicator, it's my opportunity to help impact the lives of people by making sure that they understand that they understand what that representative body of, uh, of folks is doing on their behalf. Um, and then it works two ways, right? Because there's that feedback loop that comes back in. I also hear from people out, out in the world and bring that back into the organization and make sure that they're aware of that. And you can do that formally with tools like, you know, like polls and surveys, or you can do it informally, just like, hey, you know, I was surfing Facebook and there's this community group out there and they had some really strong thoughts about this boss. Maybe you should, you know, think about that as we're, as we're moving along with this policy or this particular program or project. Mm-hmm. So, so that's how that kind of manifests itself, right? It's, it's all about me, um, uh, I have a bo- I used to have a, a boss, uh, communications director that I worked for, that talked about closing the distance to government. Yep. That's what we're trying to do. I'm trying to be that bridge between people and the people that you know, in the in the organization that is working, you know, ostensibly on their on their behalf if it's being done right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so oh, that's great word. I, I love everything you said there. So, like, um, when you when you do this for the government, um, how how much would you say, if you if you had to break it down into a percentage, how much would you say is is of your job is communicating like outwardly to the people from the government to the people and how much is listening to the people and bringing that to the government so it's in in my current role it's probably it's actually funny i don't do that much communications here because it like anything else you get to a certain level you start managing stuff right you're not actually doing it anymore but um i would say my experience in the six months i've been with i've been here in grand rapids um and we are and we are trying to change this up some but it's been about a 70 30 it really is a lot more telling folks what's going on than listening, and that and that's nobody's fault. That's just you know, yeah. uh, you know, we're trying to structure and create a better program. Um, but I would also say, even in most cases, even when I you know when I've been at different tiers and stuff, I'm not really the one communicating in the sense that I'm delivering the information, but I'm communicating on somebody else's behalf. Or and this is a big thing I do. Um, you know, I believe that our people tell you know as an organization, whether it's whether it was the military, whether it's the city, our people tell our story best. 
So one of the big functions I would say that I do is I actually, I would, I would take what you just said and break it up, right? I probably do about 30% listening, 70% communication, but within that 70% of the communication, about 30 to 40% of that is empowering the people in the organization to communicate mm. themselves. So, you know, so, so that's that. In an ideal world, you get it about a 50-50 split. You get it to where it's 50% listening, 50% yep. communicating yep. back. Um, but even then, it, if you think, again, about a communications model, it's hard to break it up like that, right? Because it's a constant, ongoing thing. It's like a big loop, right? It just keeps going in a circle. Um, so I'm communicating and listening, communicating, listening, communicating, listening, communicating, listening. So when I answer that question, I guess I would just caveat that with, that is the formal you know, doing surveys or polls or holding open houses or listening to constituent calls or, or emails or mm -hmm. whatever. So that's about 30% of, of, of kind of what I deal with. Um, but that's only the formal piece. In an ideal world, you can't break it up because mm -hmm. it's all one big ball that you just keep going in a circle. Okay, yeah, okay. So um, you went to, after you stint in the military, you worked in Austin, right? Yep. And you did media relations there? For the yeah. City? Okay. Yeah, which, which, like I said, you know, it's, you're going to find over time as, you, as people get old, as you get older, you'll find over time that your priorities change, your, your ideas change, the things that you want to do change, right? Yeah. And so I walked out of the Army um, after a 20-year career in 2015 with all 10 fingers, all 10 toes, my brain relatively intact, um, <laughs> um, and, and we'll, we'll be the judge of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but I walked right into a job that, for me up to that point, was kind of always the dream job, mm -hmm. right? Being the media relations person. Because even in the military, I was the media relations person, but the military is so hierarchical. Like, I was the media relations person at the Pentagon. You know, I was mm. the media relations person at the White House. I was right, the media relations right. person for the first cavalry division, or the you know, or or, uh, or or you know, headquarters in Baghdad, or something like that. So even then, and even then, I worked for these big you know colonels and generals and stuff, and so they were really the leads, and I was just kind of a supporting thing. And so I had an opportunity to walk into the city of Austin, which is a you know like a fifteen, sixteen thousand person employee organization, city of a million people. Um, and be the media relations manager there, and that like so I'm like all right, fine, I hit it, you know, perfect, dream job. After a few years though, I started to realize, okay, well, there's an opportunity to do more. I've been doing this job for for about five years now, and I should probably start looking for whatever that next thing is for mm. me. And that's how you ended up here. Yeah, that's okay. how I ended up here. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I asked that just because as you go from a city like Austin to a city like Grand Rapids, I mean, obviously very different environments, very different parts of the country. Um, I mean, unless you disagree with that. But. Well, yes and no. I mean, okay. there are similarities. There, yeah. are, and of course, there are differences, right? I mean, right. Um, you know, but, that, but that's true of anything, right? Like, you can go thirty minutes down the road. Holland is a very different place than Grand Rapids, <laughs> yeah. and yet very, very similar yeah. at the same time. So, yeah. okay, yeah, okay. So then, and then, and then, learning those similarities and differences, how did you, how did you kind of make Grand Rapids your home quickly? I mean, you're taking a very high position as director of communications, so you need to understand these people in the community to which you're communicating. Uh, but how do you do that? How do you just come in and do that? So, well, a couple things. One, I got very practiced at it because, you know, my father was in the military. I spent 20 years in the military. I've never spent more than two or three years anywhere in my life. So, I, so in terms of getting settled rapidly and getting to know people, it's just kind of second nature. I couldn't give you a step-by-step, -step, this is what you do. Um, you know, one thing that you definitely do, though, um, from a professional standpoint, is you immediately start asking the questions of, okay, you, you look at people who have been here, locals, right? And you say, all right, what do I need to know? What, what would you tell the city, right, about this, you know, from a professional standpoint? What do you want the city to know? And then I always also ask people, like, who else should I talk to? Who else, you know, that's the first thing you do. I created a list of people to talk to, right? And each of those people gave me some people, gave me some people, and kind of networked out, you know, from mm -hmm. there. 
right? Um, I will tell you, I don't know that you'll that, that anyone ever gets that far. I mean, even here, you, I mean, you. One of the things I've consistently heard is that there are voices in this community that are, have never been heard, or have never been recognized, or have never been given the same platform as other voices, and yet. That includes people who have lived here all their lives talking to people who have also lived here all their lives, and there's a disconnect there, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you know, the, the the idea that you will ever understand a community or ever have it figured out, yeah. right? It, you can't. It, it's a right. huge organization of people. People are unpredictable. People are emotional. People have uh, different ways of thinking from day to day. So you'll never fully understand it, but you can make an attempt to understand the broad strokes, understand the key issues, understand some of the underlying history. History is vitally important when you talk about a community because every structure you're looking at today is here because something happened previously, right? There is no, there is no new in a community, right? And some of those themes um, exist everywhere. Some of them are unique to the you know unique to have a local flavor, but so you start and you, you also start looking trying to look at history and why things are the way they are, right? So very popular uh, at the moment. Um, I got here and was immediately handed a book called City Within a City. Um, it is a it is kind of a uh, it is kind of a, a, a racial history of Grand Rapids and how Grand Rapids became the way it was in terms of the the segregation and the integration, the the various you know disparate economic outcomes that different communities experience. Um, so that was interesting too. Uh, you know, I also say that, and I will tell you this too, get out a paper map. <laughs> Just get out a map someday, right? That's another way that I get really fundamentally situated in an area. Because you see a map, and then it allows you to start placing things, right? Because people, people don't just exist. People exist in places. Right, right. And so if you can get a map out, and you start looking, you're like, huh, why is that highway there? And you, know, and you start lay, overlaying economic data or, or overlaying... Um, um, you know, racial data or, or, or other demographic functions, right? Like, like, why is the university that we're here? We're, right now, we're sitting in a university. Why is this university here, right? And I don't know the answer to that, but those are the kinds of questions you can ask to start getting familiar with because because that's how you start finding out. Like, well, oh, we're in. Is this the DeVos Center, right? We're in the DeVos Center. Yep. Okay, I knew very little about the DeVos family prior to coming here, right? Um, well, I have never been here. I don't have any real reason to know anything about them. I, I knew that one of them, Betsy. Yeah, I knew <laughs> yeah. Betsy Boss. Right. But, but, but again, but you get here and, and, and you see this, okay, and then, oh, oh, and then that's how I found out, oh, well, they're the, they're the, they founded Amway. Okay, well, that makes a little bit of sense. And then I find out about Amway and its role, and I'm like, oh, I never even knew that Amway was based in Grand Rapids. So you start learning that stuff, right? But then you go the other way, too. You're like, okay, why is this area a bunch of wealthy, expensive houses and all the areas two blocks away a bunch of kind of you know small little you know porters? Why you know why is crime higher here than there? And you st and that's how you start to understand a community mm. because you start to understand the concerns because human beings don't just exist; they exist in places. And if you don't understand the place that they're existing in, you won't be able to communicate with them, right? Because mm. it's very different. And to a certain extent, we all do that naturally. It, it already happens. Like one, one of the first things you ask people is, "What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do?" Right, you're you're automatically you're, trying you're to build a picture around them. Yeah. Right, you're yeah. trying to build a picture, and then if you you know most people will tell you like if you ever go to like one of those how to win friends and influence people, show interest in them, right? And yeah. so you'll say, oh, where are you from? And the person will go, oh, I'm from uh, you know I'm from Battle Creek. Oh, the uh, the cereal place, right? And they'll be like, yeah, it's more than just a cereal, but yes, we the cereal place, you know. And so, but you're you're making a connection there. Yeah. Now when I meet people here, right, I can I have at least some frame of reference when I say, oh, that's cool. What part of the city do you live in? And they'll tell me, and I can make certain assumptions based on that, but I can't, you know, you still have to treat individuals as individuals.
examples. So I can make the assumptions based on what I know and understand of that area, and but that at least is a starting point for the two of us now to have a conversation. Yeah, and that's a great point. My my roommate, he's really good at that. He asks people where they're from and immediately looks at it, like looks it up on a map. Mm-hmm. We'll put a pin in the place, or like he makes those connections to me. And I've always attributed it to be like, oh, he just likes geography. I'm not really into <laughs> it, but that makes a lot of sense, and that makes. He's a great communicator with people, and, and that's why I think that's a big part of it. He really yeah. tries to understand where they're from and all that right away. Yeah. People, um, people like me screw everybody up, though, because they're like, so where are you from? I'm like, mm, I mean, I was born in Kansas City, <laughs> yeah. but I've, I've lived in like 32 places in my life. And, you know, a like, transient. Yeah. Well, like I came here, and everybody, you know, people were all like, oh, wow. So Austin, huh? Wow, moving up here in December must have been really great, like a really big difference. And I was like, well, I graduated high school in Peoria, so it's not. Yeah. I mean, I knew well, I was getting I've into. Yeah, yeah, I've seen winter. Yeah, I've seen yeah. snow. You know, I mean. So. Yeah. Well, um, for the students listening, if you could, if you could kind of go over um, what exactly you were doing in media relations specifically, and then like what your role looks like more on the day to day. I know you said it's a lot of managing, but um, mm-hmm. it just kind of if you could hit some of the classic communications or PR daily tactics you've had to use, um, roles you've played. Oh. Sure. I mean, well, so, so I'll start. I'll, I'll start backwards. I'll start with the day to day stuff, okay, like, like the stuff that we wind up doing, right? Like um, a lot of programmatic and policy communication. So a policy, you know, the, the commission will pass a policy, um, and then we'll immediately start trying to work on ways to inform people of the policy, and that can look everything like a press release that'll go out. We send a lot of information out through our neighborhood associations and community groups here locally, nonprofits, um, uh, various religious institutions, stuff like that. We'll shoot that information out. But then we also have to look at all the other places that, you know, that we can put that out. Like um, if you get a city water bill, occasionally you'll get an insert that'll come out from there, right? We have an email newsletter that goes every two weeks that people can sign up for and opt into. Um, you know, so, so we use all, a lot of those same you know, strategies and tactics in terms of channels of communication. We're a little more limited as a government about how, how we present information. Sometimes it's statutory and legal, and there are certain ways that we have to, you know, we're restricted in things. But it's also a lot of times um, we can't quite use some of the same, like, like, you know, for instance, every PR person learns sex sales, right? Um, I'm not putting somebody in a bikini on a thing to get you to, you know, <laughs> right. get you to sign up for the new parking app that we're using, right? Like, I, it's not just, it's not going to happen, okay? And so, it just, you know, so there's a certain level of propriety being a government institution that we have to keep. But at the same time, I'm also dealing with a community of people that's not, that's not how they communicate on a daily basis, right? Like, the biggest thing, one of the biggest things that I, I push is we need to stop, you know, governments can have, uh, go- governments can, can communicate in ways that are fun and loose and relaxed and still be professional. Right, the pushback against that is, oh, we're the, we're the government. We can't just do. No, it's okay. You can be a little cheeky sometimes. You, you can write a snarky little tweet every once in a while, or you know, have an inside joke. You know, you, you can, can show them that stuff, there are right? humans running the government. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so we do that stuff, but uh, you know, and, and that'll and that runs the whole gamut, right? We'll create web campaigns. We'll you know, uh, we'll do surveys. Um, you know, just a whole variety. So, so, that, so in a day-to-day, that's kind of how it happens. The way this kind of works is we identify something that either that either somebody wants communicated or needs to be communicated, right? And then we figure out the best, you know, do you do a, a strategic analysis, right? It's like, okay, well, who's the audience for this? Okay, what's the best way to reach them based on what we understand about their communications consumption habits? Okay, and then, you know, how much money do we have? Not a lot, usually. I, fact, I rely very heavily on internally produced and earned media because I, I don't have a huge budget for advertising, and the budget we do needs to be very targeted. But, you know, so you identify your target audience, what the expected outcome is, the length of the thing, and then you start building out your, you know, your, your tactics and your channels and, and all that stuff. So we use all of the same basic 
you know, you know, PR planning functions to create campaigns as everybody else does. We just have maybe some different, uh, some different restrictions on us or some different, um, uh, you know, maybe some limitations on the tone that we can use or the styles that we can use sometimes. So there's that, you know. Um, you would ask about like tactics and media relations. I mean, you know, basically it's like anything else, right? Um, I serve, government communicators serve two roles, right? We're both trying to communicate on behalf of the organization, but then large organizations by their very nature, not just government, even private, you know, private uh, companies are, they're, they're, they need to be, they need to, they need to be drawn out sometimes. Like they need to have someone kind of remind them you should be talking, you know, because the, the, the thing is, especially if it's bad news, everybody's always like, I don't want to talk to, talk to the media. Well, why are we talking to me? I don't want to talk to the media. And it's like, okay, but that doesn't work. One, because we're the government and we owe people information. But, but two, it doesn't make it go away. Right, mm -hmm. and it doesn't fix it. And so, with media relations, I also oftentimes acted as an advocate within the organization on behalf of the press. There's this theory out there, this kind of like stereotype or trope that public information officers uh, in the government uh, are trying to stifle or block, or our job is somehow to you know defend the organization from the press and keep the press out. And that may be true for some people. I I, I won't deny that that goes on by you know for, by some. That's never been my philosophy. My philosophy has always been I want to get you as much information as I as I'm legally allowed to do, um, and make sure that the organization understands why it's important that we do that for you. Um, but in terms of the tactics for media relations, you know, uh, it's all the same stuff. You write a press release. Yeah. You answer media questions. You schedule press conferences. Um, you know. You occasionally do, you know, if there's if there's stuff that, that's kind of sensitive or whatever, you may do the off the record, the occasional off the record, right? Um, in the military, I did occasional what you would call, uh, you know, on background or deep background kind of things. You know, where where you know, we provide you some information, but we can't really go on the record because it's a political thing, and, and we don't play politics. Um, and so that's another thing too. There's a difference between political communications, government communications. Yeah. I was just about to kind of clarify that for yeah, yeah, because I think I think there's a lot of hesitancy. Yeah. I don't know any of my peers who want to go into public communications like I haven't heard that's like an even an interest for most people and I think I think there is that mix up in people's heads of political communications versus you know public communications and and like how how it actually plays out and so it's good to hear you say that any of these people listening who are studying public relations like they they could do this um, oh it's, they absolutely it's so can. similar to anything else just a, a, with some different yeah. limitations on it so a, a, absolutely can you can absolutely and, and you can do political communications with all your PR stuff right mm -hmm. I mean you know it's still possible um but I, but I would say, I mean, I, the reason I don't do political communications is one, because that gets ugly fast, but, true, but two, I'm much more concerned with the, the, the actual functions of government than being right about an idea, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, and, and in political <laughs> communications, a lot of times you're arguing an idea, you're yeah. fighting for a thing. Yeah. I would much rather, like, I don't care if you want Obamacare or don't want Obamacare, I'm more concerned so with, want to this is where you go sign up. Right, right, okay, you know, okay. Like, yeah. that, that's my concern, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, there, there is a difference and, and I personally, it's just, I feel more comfortable and I'm better off. Um, it's not that I don't have strong opinions. It's not that I couldn't do, you know, political work. I just would prefer not mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. so. Well, awesome. Um, I mean, we're kind of out of time here, but if you, if you could, if there's anything, kind of a too far open-ended question here. Um, okay. do you have anything we didn't cover that, you know, you've done in your career that you're like, man, I really wanted to share this or that you're all about, um, and we didn't talk about it or, um, advice for students looking into all the PR things? Um, so I would tell you if you're, well, so it, it, yeah, I mean, I, 
I'm an old soldier, dude. I can sit here and tell you war stories for two hours. I mean, like, <laughs> and I'm a professional communicator on top of it. I could talk, you know, we're already running out of time. I could talk for another four hours. Um, so what I'll really focus on, though, is probably this. If you're interested in PR, right, just kind of take the time, especially while you're in school, and explore all of those various options. You're right. I personally don't know anybody that got into government communications, at least the stuff that I do. Even I didn't get into this this way. I went into it like, you know, oh, I'm going to be on the radio. I'm, you know, Good morning, Vietnam, like the movie. You know, like I, I thought that's what I was going to go do, and this is where I wound up. Um, as part of some of my master's work I did, I interviewed a whole bunch of very high-performing millennials. This was several years ago, so they were much younger at the time uh, than they are now. Um, and what I found was all of them backed into government. It was either an internship or they got a grant that forced them to work, you know, with the government or they, um, you know, they, they became passionate about some sort of nonprofit cause and realized that working within the system might actually yield more benefits than, you know, working outside the system. So I would just tell you, take the time when you're young and you still have time to recover from mistakes to explore, right? Um, I can't make a lot of big life changes right now. Uh, I've got a mortgage, a wife, you know what I mean? Like, I, I've got, I, I got bills, you know? You know, like, I can't just... You're not, you're not <laughs> out here exploring anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I would tell people, you know, do that while you can, right? Don't get so fixated right now. Like, uh, um, I, I run into people all the time in their mid-30s who are like, oh, I always wanted to do fashion, like fashion PR. I wanted to work in a, you know, for the fashion industry. Well, one, yeah, it's a big industry, but there's only so many jobs in each specialty area, right? So, and then, um, you know, but you'll run into people that say, oh, I want to work in fashion. I really want to work in fashion. And then by accident, I got a, I got a job in tech. And I realized I really like the tech industry. I like that vertical much more than these other ones, right? And it's still all PR. It's still all the same work. It just kind of depends on, on where you land and, and what you're kind of focused on, right? Um, I would also tell you, and I tell this to everybody, be honest with yourself, okay? If you want to go out and change the world, fine. Go work in government, go work in nonprofits, go work in politics, that's fine. Go, go do those things if that's what you want to do, right? If you're interested in just making money, that's okay. There's this thing where like we're always like, oh, I, no, I want to change the world and I want to be a good person. And some people just want to make a boatload of cash, and that's okay. <laughs> be honest about that, at least to yourself and what you're looking for and say, okay, maybe I should be looking at you know, um, it, it doing finance as, as a PR sector, right? Working in the, in, in the finance industry or working in tech or one of these places where they start out six figures working as like media, you know, writing press releases because they have an obnoxious amount of money to burn, right? Um, and so, you know, so just be honest with yourself, right, and explore what you can. Because, you, you, you know, you may not even recognize that uh, something like something like government's even available to you or that you would like it, right? So explore that. Go and, go and volunteer. Go and try and do internships if they're available. Go do, um, you know, go, go um, apply for a grant while you're in college and, and maybe do some research around a policy issue and, and work from that perspective. Something like that, right, and see, and see what's there for you. So um, you're at a point now where you can get away with doing that. And if you, if you, you know, if nothing else, you walk away from that experience saying, okay, well, I really don't want to ever do that again. Right, right. And I, I, I've um, kind of come to the conclusion too, is like we are, the, the ability to go to a university is like, it's something a lot of people take for granted. And the amount of doors you can open through doing that and I think I think people feel pressured a lot of times because the question is, oh, what are you planning to do with that? Yeah. It's like you don't you don't have to have an answer right now. Um, you can have a general direction, but I, I I like the doors analogy. I think I've shared it on this podcast before. But it's like if you open all the doors, then one day you'll find one to go down. But if you only open one door, then you know you're kind of stuck. I mean, yep. you can always try to go back, but it's a little bit easier now. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on here. I really yeah. appreciate the things you have to say. Yeah, um, absolutely. Anytime, and, and you know, and and. Um, and, and I'm, I'm just right down the road. I'm here in Grand Rapids. So, um, you know, the students who go to school here, 
you are technically residents. You are uh, the constituents of the city. So people can feel free to reach out to me anytime it's they want. It's your job to respond. So. It's my job. <laughs> I, I need to up that 30% listening to maybe right, 40%. Right, right. So if the students are interested in doing that, I'm, I'm, we'll I'm, I'm, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to listen. So. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you, David. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you so much for listening today. Your listenership does not go unnoticed. Go ahead and share this with your friends who are studying anything of the like, or if they've just entered a career. We really want this to be a resource that that gets shared and, and is, is a spot for people to come and learn about the different avenues that they can take with their communications and public relations knowledge and experience. I know for me, David was a, a very great resource for me as I'm interested in studying the public sector and, and what that would look like to be a communications professional within it. But if, if anyone else is interested in this, David has dropped his contact information down below. Feel free to reach out to him there. Um, reach out to me. We can try to make a connection. Follow GVPRSSA on all of our social media. And with that, thank you so much. We will see you next time on PR Hangover. PR Hangover.